When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Eye on Foxborough, the premier podcast for all things New England Patriots. Brought to you by Mass Live. Welcome back to Eye on Foxborough. I'm Chris Mason here with Mark Daniels. Super Bowl week is upon us, but there was some interesting Patriots news that broke over the weekend and over the last couple days in general. But Mark, I think the biggest report that has caught the fan base's ear right now came from friend of the program, Jeff Howe, over the weekend. He said, quote, if it's Elliot Wolf running the show, expect the Patriots to give a long, hard look at drafting a left tackle with the number three pick. What would you think of that decision? Um, I, I think heads would probably explode um, on Twitter, on social media. I don't think Patriots fans would be very happy. And I'll say this, um, I think this this upcoming draft pick, whatever they do with it, it's probably, I don't know if there's ever been a draft pick in New England with more pressure than this one. Like you go back, they haven't picked this this high in the draft since what, Drew Bledsoe, and that was 93. But at that point, everyone knew who the consensus number one prospect was. It was Drew Bledsoe, I believe, over Rick Meyer, who went to, yeah. yeah, who went to, to the Seahawks. So like, sure, you were you were banking on Drew Bledsoe changing your franchise, but here at number three, I don't know if there's you know a consensus number three guy because there's so many different avenues, right? There's the obvious: you draft a quarterback, whether it be Jaden Daniels or Drake May. There's Marvin Harrison Jr. and then there's you know a couple tackles. There's a really good tight end, Brock Bowers of Georgia. Whatever the Patriots do, Chris, they have to get right. So my first initial thought when I read what Jeff wrote was, all right. If they don't believe in Drake May or Jaden Daniels, and they think the best prospect is Joe Alt, say, you know, left tackle in Notre Dame. All right, I get it. I think the problem is if you bypass a quarterback at three and he turns out to be a franchise guy, it'll define your program. Like we're, we're talking like, right, you know, like the stakes, the stakes are not, are, will never be bigger than this in the sense of if you bypass Drake May or Jaden Daniels and they become a top 10 guy and you're still in quarterback purgatory, it would be a disaster for Gerard Mayo. So the Patriots just really, really, really have to get it right. Right. And so the thing is, like, if they hate one of the quarterbacks in the top three, and that is the only quarterback available at number three and feel a lot better about taking a tackle, okay, trade down. If you're going to do that trade down, you have to have the contingency plan ready because it just makes no sense to take a tackle at the number three spot, given the players at the top of the board and how hungry teams are for them. And, you know, we haven't even really gotten into the Marvin Harrison Jr. aspect of it, who might be like the best football player in the draft. But again, the quarterback's going to be more important. You know, just ask Calvin Johnson, who's one of the best receivers of all time, that never really had any sort of like playoff success because he was stuck without a quarterback forever. So I mean, I, I do think the quarterback's really important, but it's it's going to come down to some preferences. But we still don't know who's making the pick. You know, this is the, the whole report starts with if Elliot Wolf is the one. Look, do you think Elliot Smith or Elliot Smith? Do you think Elliot Wolf is going to be the one that's making the pick? 
I mean, that that's a really great question. And that's the tough thing about even predicting what the Patriots will do because we don't know. We, we honestly don't like who's running the personnel department because if it's the way it was set up last year, it's macro because he was the personnel director. Um, however, the, some of their hirings that they've already done really suggest that Elliot Wolf will play a major role in New England. You know, we we start with this. When Gerard Mayo was interviewing coaching candidates, he was doing so with Elliot Wolf, right? I mean, Macro was the senior bowl with Cameron Williams, their college scouting director, and and Pat Stewart, uh, you know, sort of a I don't know, I even know what Pat's role is, but he was a you know front office guy in Carolina. Mm-hmm. So with Elliot though, then all of a sudden, Chris, right? What do they do? They hire Alex Van Pelt, you know, veteran OC, who by the way worked with Elliot Wolf in Green Bay. It was reported this weekend that they're in talks about adding Ben McAdoo, former OC and former head coach of the Giants, to this, you know, Mayo's staff as well. Well, Ben McAdoo also worked with Elliot Wolf in, in Green Bay. So right away, saying, all right, Elliot Wolf is making decisions here. He clearly has Gerard Mayo's ear. And if you're going to allow Elliot Wolf input on the OC and the coaching staff, I would guess that leads to Elliot Wolf having major input on free agents, trades, the draft, right? Isn't everything we're seeing, Chris, sort of say, hey, you know what? It looks like Elliot Wolf could be the GM of the Patriots. That's how it's, you know, reading to me. Right. And even some of the reporting locally this week is that Matt Groh was down at the Senior Bowl while Elliot Wolf stayed back here and was interviewing guys with Mayo, which would be more of a conventional GM role, right? Doing those interviews right. as opposed to having the scouting guy down there scouting at the Senior Bowl. So I do think you could definitely see that split up like that. What would you think of them adding Ben McAdoo to the staff? Uh, I know uh, a lot of people on on Twitter were sort of complaining about that. I I don't I don't hate it, and here's why. I mean, one former offensive coordinator, and two former head coach. He's he's an experienced guy. I mean, he's an experienced guy who was in Green Bay, I believe, with Alex Van Pelt. So there's a connection there. He was obviously again connected to Elliot Wolf. I think if the Patriots are going to add these veteran coaches who are former head coaches or former offensive coordinators to their staff, I have I have no problem with it. You know, Ben Ben McAdoo has been coaching since 1996. He's been in the NFL since 2004. He has seen a lot of different quarterbacks, you know, a lot. I mean, we go down the list from Aaron Rodgers to Eli Manning. You know, he was with the Jaguars in 2020. He's with the Cowboys in 21. He was the OC for the Panthers in 2022. This guy has seen a lot of football. And you know what? So has Alex Van Pelt. So I think when you're redoing the Patriots staff, their offensive staff, after such a disaster that happened last year. Yeah, I think more veteran voices, the better. I, I do think the Patriots will add some younger coaches here, some some risers. That, that makes sense. But... Chris, I don't I don't necessarily think they're even done if they do add Ben McAdoo, because what Mike Reese wrote on Sunday also caught my ear. And I want to read this. So a former head coach with an offensive background is on the radar in part to provide a sounding board to Mayo from head coaching from a head coaching perspective. Someone with a profile similar similar to Ben McAdoo, who at one point crossed paths with Van Pelt and Green Bay could fit. All right, Chris, I did a deep dive on that. I went through the coaching staffs in Green Bay True when uh, Elliot Wolf was there. And there's there's one name. There's one name that pops out in what Mike Reese said. It was Joe Philbin. Joe Philbin was the offensive coordinator for the Packers. He then was the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And when Philbin was in Green Bay, so was Elliot Wolf. And I looked it up. Joe Philbin is currently a consultant at Ohio State. So, like, what do you think? Like, if Gerard Mayo hires... Joe Philbin and Ben McAdoo to work with Elliot Wolf. I I think I don't I don't hate it. I understand they're not like 
they're not a Cliff Kingsbury type sexy name that'll get fans on Twitter excited. But I think veteran head coaches with experience could add at least a layer of help to Gerard Mayo. It's kind of funny right now. It feels kind of like you're Charlie Kelly in the mailroom and <laughs> Pepe Sylvia is just uh, Elliot Wolf, where all signs just point back to Elliot Wolf, where, you know, right. he's connected, he's connected, he's connected, he's connected. I'm like fine with McAdoo. It's kind of interesting to revisit his tenure with the Giants, where they made the playoffs his first year there, and he didn't make it through the second year there. And that was largely because he decided to bench Eli Manning for Geno Smith and snap Eli's Ironman streak that was at like 210 games. And they basically let him out of town with pitch, pitchforks after that. Really didn't age that badly. If you think about like 36-year-old Eli Manning versus like what Geno Smith has turned into and shown that he can do now, you know, it's one of those ones like, eh, that didn't age horribly, but he didn't make it out of his second year there because of that. And I, I do just think like, yeah, more veteran voices they can get, the better. Joe Philbin, like, would seem to be in more of the mold of what I was expecting when I heard that Gerard Mayo is looking for someone with head coaching experience that has, like, that can be a sounding board. Where uh, McAdoo doesn't even have two years of head coaching experience, like two full seasons, because he only right. he got run out after he was 2-10 and 10 in year two. So I don't know about that. I, I think it's fine to add more veteran voices, but... It is, it is funny in the like the reactionary echo chamber that we live in that it's like Ben McAdoo. It's like, yeah, well, I mean, if you actually go back and look at it, really, like what well, wasn't terrible in New York? Some of it aged okay and yada, yada, yada. So it, ultimately, I, I think I'm fine with it. Like it's not a huge needle mover for me one way or the right. other. And Ben McAdoo, he's he's 46 years old. He's he's not, actually not that old. He's been around forever. Uh, so Joe Philbin is 62. And I didn't know this about Joe Philbin, Chris, but he was born in Springfield, Massachusetts and went to Longmeadow High School. So, hey, local local guy with some local roots, uh, coached at WPI back in 1986. Oh, and Northeastern and Harvard. So, yeah, Joe Philbin, 62-year-old uh, coach. He was with the Miami Dolphins from 2012 to 2015, currently an offensive analyst for Ohio State. Yeah, you know, listen, I think when you're redoing an entire offensive staff, when you have, when you are the Patriots, it actually, it makes all the sense in the world. Patriots offense, for those who don't remember, finished tied for dead last in scoring last year. The Patriots offense has no tight ends currently signed for next season other than LaMichael Petway. Um, they both their starting tackles are free agents. They don't have a franchise quarterback, a Pro Bowl receiver, and they have no running back signed beyond next year. This this group, it's just other than say, that, though, we say like wholesale changes, like wholesale changes. They're essentially taking, you know, dropping a bomb on this you know offensive staff because, well, that's what you're doing to the group as a whole. So, you know what? The more voice, voices, the better. Get some veteran guys who have seen a lot of football because, Chris, this offseason is really important. Right. I mean, we go back yeah. to that number three, go back to that number three pick. So if Elliot Wolf's the guy and they do bypass a quarterback and you draft a tackle, you know what? It has to be right. Like, for example, I was trying to look at examples of like when teams sort of reach for quarterbacks and there's a lot of them. So back in like 07, I believe it was, it was uh, Jamarco Russell, Jamarcus Russell, right? Mm -hmm. The Raiders take him number one. The next two guys drafted were Calvin Johnson and Joe Thomas. So a Hall of Fame tackle and a Hall of Fame receiver, two of the greatest of all time. Now I would add Cleveland didn't win a Super Bowl and Detroit didn't win a Super Bowl. But obviously the Raiders were a disaster under Russell, who was one of the biggest busts in, in NFL history. So like the thing the Patriots can't do with Elliott Wolf and whoever's running the show, 
is overdraft because they need a quarterback. So if the right pick is a receiver, you take it. If the right pick is a tackle, you take it. I, I just, you know, what we have even talked about with a draft analyst the other week um, from the NFL Network, Jan Daniel Jeremiah, is that like, listen, there were three quarterbacks in this draft with extremely high ceilings, Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. Over the next two months, Chris, the Patriots have to figure out if one of those guys is worth it at number three. Because if he is and you have the guy, it's great. You're off and rolling. But if you miss on this, the ramification could be Gerard Mayo is out of a job in three years. You know, it's like there's a lot of pressure on this team to get it right. Now, I don't think the Patriots will win next year. But if you have the quarterback, it eases things, right? It's just, I don't know. There's a lot of pressure on this. Like, a long way of me saying, I don't hate adding veteran coaches. And if Elliot Wolf is a guy, fine. Just make sure you get it right, Elliot, or their heads will roll eventually. Yeah, I mean, and if you're going to take a tackle, trade down. Because that is the sensical thing to do. Yeah. Another interesting report uh, serviced earlier today. So there were some rumblings that Belichick was considered in Washington after um, – Dan Quinn got that job last week. This morning, Albert Breer reported a little more in depth on those talks where specifics are still scarce, but this timing is interesting. Breer says, quote, on Wednesday night, Commander's GM Adam Peters, who got his start in New England, called former Patriots coach Bill Belichick to touch base. After that call, he reached out to Quinn to offer him the job. So immediately before offering Dan Quinn the job, Bill gets a call. There's three things I think could be at play here. One, Bill just says, I'm not interested. You know, he, he gives Bill a call and he's like, no, no, thanks. Uh, whatever. Two, there is some sort of non-starter, whether that's Bill saying like, I want more control and Adam Peters being like, no, I'm the GM. You don't have that control, yada, yada, yada. That could be an easy non-starter. Or three, it could have been Peters just calling his old boss and doing him the solid of being like, hey man, we're going in a different direction. I just want to let you know. But either way, it caught my eye that he called Bill immediately before. Is there one of those three avenues that you think is most likely? So to rewind, you know, the Washington Brass was flying to Detroit to interview Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson when Ben Johnson pulled out. And now going into the search, I think a lot of people thought Ben Johnson was the commander's top candidate, right? Yep. So when he pulls out, they instantly pivot. So when I read that, Chris, I thought, oh, I wonder after losing Ben Johnson, if they were like, you know what, maybe we should give a run at Bill Belichick, right? Because mm -hmm. I feel like you call Bill Belichick only to see if like there's a possibility he'd be willing to come to you without any personnel control and coach. And from reporting uh, Jeff at The Athletic, it, it sounds like that that was sort of a sticking point in Atlanta and even in, in New England that, hey, Bill has done it for so long as the GM, he still wants it. So it's obvious why Bill doesn't work with the commanders if he wants to be the GM because they just hired one, Adam Peters. They did they did what a lot of teams do. They hire the GM first and then they find a head coach to work with them. So when I read it, I, I wonder if Adam Peters, who did work for Bill Belichick as a scout, said, hey, you know, if, if you're interested, let us let us know because we're pivoting here. It sounds like maybe he said no. And they, they went to Dan Quinn. You know what I mean? It's a, right. it's a really strange situation. You're right. Like, I, I don't know if he'd call out to be like, like, hey, what do you think about me hiring Dan Quinn? I, I don't think he needs Bill Belichick as a resource there. But mm -hmm. it does make me wonder if Bill was willing to give up control, would he have a job right now? Right. The framing of it just makes it seem a lot more like Bill said, thanks, but no thanks. than the Diana report last week that said that he was being considered and some decision makers really liked him and yada, yada, yada. To me, this feels more like him being like, nah, I don't think so. I don't think this is going to work here. Um, but yeah, to immediately call Quinn after that is 
it's definitely interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and there's lots of ramifications too of Bill not having a job. Like we just saw today, you know, Steve Belichick's going to the University of Washington to be Jed Fish's defensive coordinator. Vinny Sinceri is also going to Washington. I'll throw some other blocks your way, Chris. Like yeah. hypothetically, if Bill got that job in Atlanta, I mean, it, it's possible the Patriots special teams coach is Marquise Williams. I mean, it's possible Zach Robinson could have been in New England, right? I mean, all these little dominoes fell when Bill didn't get a job, and we're starting to see some moving pieces here or there. One is the Patriots offensive staff is, you know, going to be completely different. And two, Steve Belichick, who was their off defensive play caller, leaves. I mean, I think that's, that's pretty big. I, I think the Patriots will have to go out and find an experienced defensive coach to bring in just because Steve did a lot. You know what I mean? Not yeah. only did he coach safeties and then linebackers, but he called defensive plays since 2019. That is, that's, that's a pretty big loss for Mayo. Yeah. I think Steve was ultimately pretty underrated in his role here because like one, he's Bill's kid Two, like going super viral for making those faces during that Monday night game didn't or Sunday night, whatever it was, didn't really do a lot in terms of like the seriousness of like the way people were taking him or anything. But I always thought Steve was kind of the victim of the same thing that McDaniels was on offense for a while, where like when the offense was humming, it was always Brady. So was always, oh, Tommy's the best of all time. Tommy, Tommy, Tommy. And like whenever the offense would start to sputter with Brady, it would be Josh is too cute calling plays. Josh's play calls are bad, right? And I thought there was some of that on defense too, where when the defense is playing really well, it's always like, oh, it's Mayo's defense. Mayo's the one that's actually doing it. Or, or it's still Bill's defense. But then when the defense would struggle, it'd be like, oh, Bill's kid has no idea what he's doing, you know? So I think right. he's kind of in a no-win situation here. And it makes sense for him to just, like, ultimately get away and kind of start a coaching career, like, not in his father's shadow. But, you know, people are going to look at the Washington defense now, and it's all it's going to be all Steve Belichick's defense, right? Because Jed, Fish, offensive guy, so it's not even – doesn't even have the head coach, like, loitering over him essentially now, where it's like that's definitely going to be his side of the ball. He can put a stamp on it and, you know, ultimately good for him. Everything I've heard about Steve Belichick is that players like him and, and he's a good coach. And, you know, he he started with the Patriots at the bottom as a coaching assistant and he worked his way up. And I, and I get with the last name Belichick, people will point to nepotism, but Steve has earned his way, you know, um, in New England. And, and he earned this job with Washington. I, I think you're right, Chris. It's it's a great move for him. Because in the in the long run, it, it helps him to get out of New England where those six championships banners hang inside Gillette Stadium. He needed to go somewhere else and he, he went pretty far away, all, the opposite yeah. side of the country, <laughs> yeah. Washington State. So, you know, great move for Steve and uh, definitely wish him luck. Definitely. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for following along and we'll catch you further on down the trail. This has been Ion Foxborough, brought to you by Mass Live. <laughs>